He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder of CornNation.com, your Nebraska Cornhusker site of massive amounts of fun, especially since we won last week in a convincing fashion over northern Illinois. I guess this will be posted on Monday. so. We'll be playing another team from Illinois, and hopefully we'll beat the hell out of them, too. Uh, today, we're talking to Bobak Hayari, who is a Reddit moderator for Reddit CFB, which is the college football site on Reddit. And uh, we'll talk about Reddit in a minute. How are you t- doing today, Bobak? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. Well, Reddit is a, it's massive, right? It is. The site itself is the sixth busiest website um, in the United States. I think it's the top 15 worldwide because there's a bunch of Chinese websites no one outside of China uses that apparently cheat their way up the rankings because I can't be convinced that there's that. I mean, well, well, we'll set that aside. I mean, that goes into a completely different question of, of ethics. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, the sixth busiest website in uh, in the United States. Uh, that puts it above Twitter, shockingly enough. Um, but it's lots of different communities within it. And, uh, yeah, we're the, uh, we're the college football community at, uh, at RCFB. So, um, yeah, that's, that's who we are. So one of the things about Reddit is, to me, is, uh, oh, my God, it's a rabbit hole. All the time I go on there, you just you go down a rabbit hole and you're down there for hours. Uh, my I have like two or three favorite subreddits. Uh, one of them is Futurology, which I always love because it's an Elon Musk fanboy area. And then uh, there's personal relationships, which I enjoy because none of those problems those people have are my problems, and I feel better about my own life. You told me before we started this podcast that the college football subreddit, you guys have taken kind of a different track on Reddit than the other subreddits. Tell me about that. Yeah, um, mostly because we just decided to uh, build on on sort of the established relationships we had developed with um various you know entities be them teams or conferences because a lot of sections of reddit um will do things that are basically q and a's um they call them amas on reddit but they're basically just sort of like internet q and a's you know people ask questions readers ask questions and then the guests will answer them so we realized that there was a potential there to uh maybe do some uh, independent reporting, or at least start covering events in person rather than just having people come to us. So about five, a little over five years ago, um, we started reaching out um, to conferences uh, to do media days, you know, the preseason media days, because those were a little easier to start with. They were fixed date. You know them well in advance. Um, and it's an opportunity for all the teams to kind of give their optimistic outlook for the preseason Um, And, you know, it was a good way to start. So we started doing those five years ago. We did, I think, uh, six of them, maybe. Um, And then this last season, we've grown to doing 13 conferences before the season, but also covering games as well. We started, again, doing a handful of, like, random bowl games because somebody um, who we trusted from previously covering a media day happened to be in Orlando or or wherever. And um, from there, uh, last season, we started – kind of ad hoc off the cuff covering games based on requests. And then heading into this season, we've been a little more aggressive, a little more organized. Um, uh, and we covered, I mean, gosh, I don't think we're going to get a week quite like last week. And we had 10, we were covering 10 games um, all over the place. I mean, uh, I, I don't typically cover many games myself, but last week I, I decided to do Georgia Southern at uh, Minnesota only because I knew Georgia Southern fairly well from covering the last five Sunbelt media days. And um, yeah, we had somebody at Clemson Syracuse, somebody at USC at BYU, somebody at, gosh, I, 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 it all blurs together sometimes, Florida State at UVA. We actually did an FCS game. We had Nichols at uh, Prairie View. That was kind of an interesting one to, to see. I think those HBCUs have kind of an interesting uh, 
passionate, you know, obviously it, they, those schools are so fascinating. I mean, they have such a cool like pregame halftime. It's not just the band. It's just the whole atmosphere is a little different. So yeah, we did, we did a number of games and then um, uh, ideally I actually, and I should say last year we were shocked. It culminated in covering about a dozen bowl games, including both the uh, cotton bowl semifinal as well as the uh, CFP national championship in Palo Alto um and we we re, we went back and covered the FCS title game and the D2 title game again as well so we've been it's been nice i mean you know it, it's still an all volunteer operation um which i think is kind of amazing uh that we have people who are that passionate into it i think you know anyone who who does this kind of thing this sort of approach to the media uh yourself included it's 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 something where it's like a real passion you know it's something you really care about now Especially for us, because we try to, we're, we're still, you know, we're not a, a specific team site, so we tend to take an even more neutral stance um, just by, you know, it would be kind of weird if we didn't, if we started going to, I mean, we're not, because we're not like, you know, a team, a team oriented site. But at the same time, I mean, it's wonderful. You can find these people who just really, really care about um, sports and, and wanting to do sports writing. And, and they divide into kind of two groups. We get people who are, who are like me, who are, uh, you know, already have a career and just want to want to do this. It'd be really interesting. I've found um, lawyers tend to especially have a, a similar tool set to a journalist because you're used to asking questions and kind of being prying, um, except you can't be quite as rude as a journalist uh, as you can as a lawyer. Um, they're not under oath. Uh, you know, you can't say like, well, you know, you can't you're not trying to torch them. And the other person can always say, go away. I don't want to talk to you. Um, which you could say to a lawyer, but it doesn't, there's, there's still tools in the toolbox for getting you to still talk. And, uh, the, uh, and, and then we get a lot of young people, people who want to kind of build clips because I don't have senior reporters. If, if I can get you into a game, you know, as I tell these people, I'm like, you're going. I mean, I had a, I remember for the American uh, Athletic Conference, they do their pre, uh, preseason media day out in Newport, Rhode Island, which isn't exactly a hotbed of college football fans. So I found this guy who was at a small D3 school. I wrote to him. I said, hey, you know, the person who normally covers this for me, he can't make it. Because we had this, this wonderful guy who, who covered it for years, but he, he had just moved to uh, uh, Palo Alto himself, uh, and he couldn't quite make it out. So uh, I said, hey, you know, you're a, um, would you like an opportunity to talk to all these head coaches? And by the way, uh, the American Conference has the most interesting drama because UConn is leaving. Um, for at least in the preseason. So he went, interviewed all these teams, and he was like, I cannot believe I just got to do all of this. And I'm like, he did a competent job. I, I kind of believe in, in, in like, like, obviously you have to identify somebody you think can do the work. But I believe that we, uh, as a society, sometimes think age is a little more valuable than it is. Um, and I'm saying this as someone who's on the older side of, uh, you know, at least Reddit. I mean, I'm 40. I'm not the oldest person on Reddit by any stretch, but uh, at least on our moderator team, you know, our average age on the moderator team is probably 30, um, which actually is, is older, I think, than most. But the fact that we have so many of us that are a little bit older um, is kind of also why I think building back and kind of circling back in this rambling answer to what you had originally asked, I think that has um, that age factor is why we're willing to try things that others haven't been willing to try. Um, and not only willing to try it, but do it in kind of an organized manner. Because I think that's always the flaw. All of these sections of Reddit are run by volunteers. And you're kind of at the uh, mercy of, of who those are. Um, and uh, some can be dramatic. Unfortunately, quite a few can be. And that's just that's just people. You get people together and, and drama forms. But so far, so good. We've been able to kind of uh, run this thing. It's not just – and i, I got to be clear. I mean, you know – we're, uh, we are a team of equals when we when we run this section, and uh, I've been very fortunate to have so much help from from a lot of people who uh, who can do other things as well. I mean, uh, we have guys who understand technology at a level I simply do not. Um, we have people who can somehow sort through uh, fans arguing with each other. And, and again, I think the uh, I think to that to some extent the reason our section is is popular among people who visit uh, our CFP is um, even you know. People like to tease each other and every you get every every group, every fan base has that quarter that thinks if it's not completely sunshine coverage. They're they're um, 
they're being attacked. But we get a lot of people who can kind of smile and, and laugh when their team loses. And I think that's important. I mean, let me tell you, I went to uh, my undergraduate degree was at the University of Southern California. And I went there during just some re- I mean, what? Yeah, people complain about Clay Helton. No, no. I was there for John Robinson's second tenure, followed by Paul Hackett. And those were complete disastrous years. The highlight of my years at USC was we went to one bowl game and we went to the Sun Bowl, which in Pac-10 country, pardon me, back in the day when it was Pac-10, is like being sent to, you know, whatever. Your season was kind of a disappointment. Congratulations, you're getting sent to El Paso, which is no knock on the city of El Paso, but it's just always been like you didn't quite make the Rose Bowl, you didn't quite make the Holiday Bowl, you didn't quite make possibly another bowl, so you're going to El Paso to face an even worse ACC team. Um, but back then, it wasn't quite oriented that way. It was USC versus still a WAC member, the T- uh, Texas Christian TCU. They uh, they came in, and uh, we were favorites, and they completely knocked us out. Because they, I remember the whole the whole broadcast, the uh, – the guys who were broadcasting the Sun Bowl were joking the USC players must have been down in Juarez just a little too long uh, partying it up the night before. Because we, we were just lethargic. The team didn't look right. And that was the highlight of the three years that Paul Hackett was there. And you have to remember, too, when Paul Hackett was fired after three years, that was considered, like, outrageous in the 90s. That was like, wow, you didn't even give the coach four years. USC is a complete, you know, they're way too anxious. No team ever does this. You know, in those days, that was considered just nuts. Um, in fact, um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot his name. The uh, the AD at the time had already embarrassed himself uh, nationally by firing John Robinson via uh, message on his voicemail. Um, and that isn't like a cell phone voicemail. That was back in the day when, you know, he had an answering machine. He left a message on John Robinson's answering machine telling him his services were no longer needed. Um, and then, you know, he hires Paul Hackett, who lasts all of three years. I was in the stadium when people were booing him, what he was speaking on behalf of charity. And then, uh, you know, pardon Mike Garrett, that's AD's name. He was our original Heisman Trophy winner. He, um, Mike Garrett starts to try and find someone to replace Paul Hackett. And he, this is the most, this, this is still one of the most fascinating hiring processes. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as a biased USC fan. I mean, this is because. He ends up by chance with Pete Carroll because Pete Carroll was his third, pardon me, his fourth choice. First person he goes after, Mike Bellotti at Oregon. Mike Bellotti says no. Next person he goes after, Dennis Erickson at Oregon State. Dennis Erickson says no. Then he makes a play for Mike Riley. <laughs> Mike Riley at the time being at the Chargers. Mike Riley sounded interested because he had briefly been an uh, offensive coordinator at USC. But he said, you know, I imagine this is how he said it, golly, I'd love to coach the Trojans. And I know my chargers are really bad and I'm probably going to be fired at the end of the season. This was well known. Everyone knew he was on his way out. But I, I, they hired me. I'm going to finish my job here. It wasn't like he just like nowadays because I'm kind of hearing a coach just totally dropping the team and leaving, a.k.a. the Petrina route. But, um, you know, the uh, no, he he stuck it out. So this whole time. Pete Carroll, who had a daughter who was going to USC at the time and was on the volleyball team, kept like saying, you know, I'm interested. I'd be totally up for this. Guys, I'm totally interested. I mean, he was so, I mean, it's really a testament to to that that personality of his. He was going to like, he was a parent. And by the way, the reason Ed Orgeron was like the only holdover, there were a handful of them, but he was a major holdover from the Hackett Hackett, um, uh, side is, Orgeron, you know, he was on the interim, like hold the the team together uh, uh, staff. He was at a um, he was at a game, a high school game, uh, somewhere in, in Los Angeles, um, recruiting. And uh, Pete Carroll showed up to that same game. He wasn't even still a can- he was only a candidate. And they met, and they, they that's how they clicked. That was the first time those two ever met each other. And then they realized they were both like obviously Ed Orgeron's got that personality. It rubs Carroll the right way, and Carroll was like already, gosh, I can't wait to hit the ground running and recruiting. Um, and that's how that story kind of developed. So in closing, that is uh, how we ended up growing into covering football games. <laughs> that kind of, wow, that went, that went off the, uh, um, you can tell I, not only I'm an attorney, but I also like to, I also teach a class and I've done so, you know, I, I adjunct over at the University of Minnesota. I've done that for over a decade now. And you can kind of tell because I can just sort of fill space.
You can go on. I don't think it, I didn't say a word for three minutes, five minutes. It's okay. That's fine. I'm learning how to interview people, and I think that mostly interviewing people is letting them talk. Uh, two, a, a bunch of things. Uh, number one, is your goal at Reddit CFB, that's what I'm calling it for this podcast, is it to be an alternative reporting source? Do you know? Is this just something you're going kind of like we can have fun with this and you can do this? Because that's what Coronation grew out of. I just, on a whim, replied to an email from Tyler Blazinski, who started SB Nation, and he said, you know, BR Nebraska guy. And I went, Holy, what the hell is this? I don't know what this is. I asked my wife. I said, I got an email. Some guy wants me to join him. I, it sounds like fun. Let's try it. Uh, do you want to be crowdsourced journalism? And then you can go for as long as you want. Because no, I, I think I'll be more concise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a great question. You know, um, at this point, we're still kind of, I think, developing our approach to uh, journalism in the sense that um, logistically who we have and what we can cover. Because we are, I mean, it's interesting because at first I was like, well, we can try to be an alternative and, and try to, because I mean, frankly, we're never going to replace the AP. I mean, that's, that's, excuse me, that's nonsense. Or a beat reporter who who's, uh, lives and breathes the team for a living. Um, we're not going to necessarily be that. Um, but what I do like is that we can bring um, just more coverage to teams because it's gone down as the years have gone on. I mean, there's, it's it, unfortunately the result of, of, of the slow uh, decline of journalism just because of budgets ever since, you know, even before the internet, frankly, uh, you know, there was, there was a bit of a decline in local journalism and local journalism is where you get a lot of the better reporting on college football teams. So, I've always said we'll approach whatever games we can at this point because I mean that's the other thing we're in college football land there's so many games and if you if you're even willing to look beyond FBS it becomes an an incredible number of games so the idea to even catch all of it is is unfeasible for even the biggest entities out there I mean most of the recaps for lower levels are simply written by one of the sports information directors uh, and you know they spread the scores around to uh, some of the sites that focus on them. So, I mean, we're doing our best. We're kind of going to see where it goes. I don't know if I've got a solid answer on it because uh, we're trying to we're trying to take it seriously. Obviously, we're not going to. I mean, so there's there's an approach to taking things in a in a lighter manner. Um, and we like humor. Don't get me wrong. Gosh, knows we like humor. I'm just saying though. I don't know um, as far as the actual reporting though. We're trying to, to take an interesting approach. And, and to be fair, we're always open to ideas. One of my uh, one of the guys who covered a game for us this past weekend, the Iowa State-Iowa uh, uh, Cyhawk rivalry, um, it, uh, he, he's actually a professional fire investigator. I know, him in, I know I've met him before, even in real life, but he, he investigates fires. He's a former fireman. He's uh, a um, very interesting guy. And uh, he's like, after seeing the, that game, which as some of you may remember, was lightning delayed. It was kind of a mess, and it ended just kind of in this classic manner. This, this, uh, is, this is why we refer to it as El Asico. Yeah, well, it was a El Asico moment. And uh, yeah. I think uh, from that, he said, can I write this as well, how I, in the same way I would write a fire, like a post-fire report? And I thought, that's hilarious. Yeah, go for it. And he did it. And he, he actually... And I told him, like, the trick to making that work is, you know, you got to write it like you would really write a, a post-fire report. So that's what he did. He didn't, he didn't insert – because you can't really insert too much humor into that. Otherwise, it starts to get overdone. But he did that. I thought it worked great because especially after the way that game turned out, um, it seemed appropriate. So, I mean, we, we allow room for creativity. The one thing I've always been cautious about, and I've never had somebody ask to do this, and I would probably say no unless I knew for a fact they could do it. There was a while, especially I want to say in the late 90s, right after um, 
somebody had made uh, uh, they'd made the movie adaptation of Fear and Loathing. The sense that oh, I'm going to do Hunter S. Thompson Gonzo journalism. And people don't realize that's not as easy as it looks. That's a that's a really hard one to do. So if somebody ever told me I want to do Gonzo journalism, I'd be like, okay with somebody else, not with us, because that that's a classic way to possibly burn every bridge with the team you've ever had, because just to even do that the right way, you'd have to go completely bananas. So, I mean, we, we have some room for creativity and I like it. And, and uh, especially when somebody can pitch an interesting approach to it. But um, as far as what we're doing, um, we're still in kind of a growth stage and trying to figure out how best to approach uh, our coverage. Wow. Well, I know that, that my rotten son, and he's my rotten son, you probably don't pay attention to our site as not enough, but everybody knows that my youngest son, Isaiah, attends the University of Minnesota, majoring in applied math, and that's why he's my rotten son. Publicly, he loves Reddit college football. He constantly texts me stuff from your site. It's you know, I'm like, why aren't you reading my side? That's why he's <laughs> rotten. But let's uh, let's go. You guys, you pay attention to the entire span of college football. And I, one of the things I went out, uh, because I like to be prepared to actually interview people, I, I went out and I looked at uh, the subreddit and I, I saw this one thing that was called Vent. And it was basically said, vent about your team this week. And I went through it, and there was this guy from UCF who literally put on the, his, his venting thing where he said, my team was crushing Stanford so bad and mashing them, and then they took their foot off the gas. And that was his complaint, that they took their foot off the gas. They could have killed them like 183,000 points to 20. There's nobody happy in college football, is there? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's so funny. You know, I think every fan base has that, that corner that never can be satisfied unless it's a complete obliteration of another team. And don't get me wrong, those moments are glorious when it's your own team. Um, but yeah, it's like one of our, and it's funny, just kind of build off of what you're saying. One of my favorite things, one of the, uh, one of the, in my opinion, and uh, is one of the more addicting things to visit uh, RCFB, what brought me back were kind of these weekly um, scheduled threads. Um, and it sounds like, cause I mean, the one you're talking about is the event about your team, you know, the, um, I forgot how we title it, but yeah, it's venting about your team. It's on Sunday. It's an opportunity to really kind of let loose. And some people have fun with it. Some people are genuinely sad. Like, um, there have been moments where it's like, you can imagine a team has just been absolutely pantsed on national television and people will react but to be fair, the nice thing is, I mean, the people who are really, really, really sad about it generally don't want to even be on it. I, I'm like that. If I get really sad about a game, I don't even want to be on the Internet for a couple of days afterwards. But some of the uh, some people who I think can, can kind of have a little fun with it uh, tend to tend to go to those sections and come up with these hilarious, you know, summaries of why their team failed and or why they think in the case of the UCF fan, why they think their team could have done even more. Um, and why winning wasn't enough. It isn't enough to win. It's to get the other team to come out at halftime, sign surrender documents, and then salt their home field so no grass shall ever grow there again. You know, I mean, I, I, I and I, it's fun to imagine that kind of thing. I, I, when I first started using the section myself, not as a moderator, but just as a, um, a regular kind of user, I, I used to have these, because I think, I came in at the tail end of 2011 for USC. That was a pretty strong season. That was one where we were, we were not allowed to go bowling, but we finished the season with this, just like, I think we had double digit wins. We blew out UCLA 50 to zero. I mean, it was a complete hilarious. I mean, it was just a, a monumental ending to that season. And then we had one of the worst seasons any team could have, which was 2012 went in preseason number one, and, oh, hey, here's a call back to earlier in the interview. We ended the season in the Sun Bowl, uh, <laughs> losing to Georgia Tech in, in an apt fashion where we clearly didn't know how the option worked because we didn't know how to stop it. 
Um, and uh, we finished, what, seven and six, I want to say. It was an absolute miserable year. So over that particular season, I was just absolutely savoring the opportunity to write these. I, I started to pretend I was Lane Kiffin, and I would write these just bizarre like I, I tried to track Lane Kiffin's mind going over the season. Like how crazy would he get? I had him like trying to learn different philosophies that might like find his team. Like he became in, in various terms at the beginning, he started to discover like Scientology. And then he discovered, he became a member of the, the nation of Islam under Elijah Muhammad. And then he became of like the Wu-Tang clan. He became a, um, uh, a presenter, and then he uh, he ended up discovering communism. Then he went through different forms of communism. He started with Leninism. He went to Stalinism. Then by the end of the season, he was basically uh, Kim Jong. Uh, Ki- I think we called him uh, Kiffin Jong Lane. Like we we started to have him kind of go some sort of North North uh, Korean style uh, insanity. So that was fun for me. That was a great way to kind of vent about how terrible the season was going. And uh, and that's why when I see people who do that sort of thing now. It's uh, it's a delight to see. There's this one, um, there's this one user, for example, uh, his handle is Owlcatraz, uh, like with the, the the bird owl, because he's a rice fan, uh, the rice owls, and oh my goodness, I mean, rice is just a miserable team, but he writes some of the funniest trash talk. Because the other popular, um, I mean, there's several popular weekly threads. The other popular one is Thursday. We do a trash talk thread, and it's all caps. And we even made it so that if somebody doesn't type in all caps, everything is all caps because, you know, it's, it's rocking out with your cap lock. You know, I mean, it is it is completely about, you know, the cruise control for cool that is typing in all capital letters. And uh, yeah, so he, his rants there when he's trash talking like different teams are hilarious. I mean, he trash talked Texas and gosh, how did he say it, it was like the from the book of Texas. And he just kind of wrote this huge flowing uh, biblical style um, thing about how Texas had picked off Rice and all of their talent and all of their uh, success and uh, it was glorious. I mean, he knew they were going to lose and yes, they did lose but uh, it's not about losing. It's about the fun you have on the way. Um, people, people, you know, that that's a great line for the podcast. It's It's the fun you have along the way and people in Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska football defines us, you know, and it's so serious and it's hard. It really is hard. It, 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 like the Colorado loss. I mean, literally I spent four days. I don't want to say depressed because that's an insult to people that have real depression, but it was a, a funk, a, like a misery. You know, we would talk shit for an entire year about Colorado and then we lost in horrifying fashion. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, I don't want to talk about that. You don't, I'm not going to let you talk for five minutes about that. You bastard. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so how's the kicking game looking? Oh God. Why? Why do you do this? <laughs> I love you. I want to love you. <laughs> I, I pronounced mean, your is, is name properly. Kicker. I mean, is he? Is he? I mean, I know he he had some successes last week, but um, but still, uh, there was a couple of blocks. Hour or several, I think. Um, how's how's he looking since then? I mean, is he still the kicker for Nebraska? Isaac Isaac Armstrong. Yeah. No, I think they're going with a guy named Lane McCallum. Okay. But we're gonna move to the Big Ten, the whole Big Ten. Not just us, because I oh, want yeah, absolutely. I want a guy who pays attention to the outside world. By the way, I have a question. Did I read correctly? Would this this weekend, assuming things succeed against Illinois, that would be the 900th win for the Huskers? Yes, that is true. That's awesome. That's amazing, and that should show you. I mean, when you look at the history of Nebraska football all the way back to like 1892, 1894, Nebraska has been incredibly good at football with the exception of the World War II years. And with that started like in 1941, until Bob Devaney came in 1962. And, you know, I mean, Nebraska, the reason for that is because Nebraska wasn't, you know, all the men left the state to go fight. Right. And then when they came back, they didn't return to Nebraska. 
I mean, I hate to say that. I love my home state, but unless you're a farmer, there's not much to go back to. But, uh, you know, when I was when I first moved to Minnesota um, around 2002, there was a I don't even remember the article. It wasn't that good of an article, but it was a guest editorial in um, the New York Times. But it had a headline that stuck with me forever. How do you get them to stay in Iowa when they've seen Minneapolis? And I was just like, especially having just moved here from Los Angeles, um, I thought, wow, that's that's completely it. How do you um, sometimes with with especially smaller towns, how do you get them to to move back when they've been to the local metropolitan area? But uh, it, the way it had been pitched wasn't something I'd ever heard phrased quite that way before. But I mean, that's the trick. I mean, once you get all these people leaving, especially to be mobilized for something as colossal as World War II, I mean, yeah, all of a sudden everyone gets shipped back and, you know, they're shipped back in maybe Chicago or Kansas City or the coast. And uh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to bring everyone back again. All right, we're going to the Big Ten. That's our focus. What do you think about the Big Ten? You know, three weeks um, in, three weeks in, where are we at? You know, I'm one of those people who believes that uh, preseason rankings are great for kind of like fun discussion, but are kind of meaningless. I wish we could do sort of a fresh rank um, to begin uh, by week four or even week five, frankly, because at this point, I mean, the only team that seems as strong as we thought they were going to be, they are who we thought we were, but uh, is uh, uh, the Denny Green, uh, but is uh, probably Ohio State. They still look good. They still look great after what they did to Cincinnati and and still, you know, being completely in control. Wisconsin looks solid. I mean, shutting out two teams is still quite impressive, but I think we're going to get a better sense of them and Michigan actually this weekend when they play each other because then we're going to finally get a gauge of, of which of those two teams really seems to have it together. Because um, Wisconsin, and it, that's not to even denigrate the Badgers at all, but when, when you start clobbering some smaller teams uh, that thoroughly – it's sometimes a product of scheduling. I mean, famously, Bill Snyder at Kansas State got Kansas State from being the utter complete basket case of all college football by scheduling these games where they would just run over completely weak teams and look completely unstoppable until they kind of got the conference play. But they would also have those wins, and then they would be able to get in the bowl games and feel more calm. I mean, that clearly, that's the Kansas State model that so many other teams have started to use um, for scheduling in particular. But Wisconsin looks like they could be a contender. Michigan could be. Ohio State, I think, definitely. I think the only team that looks completely helpless and hopeless is Rutgers again, just in time for the 150th anniversary of their, uh, their uh, well, their one-in-one season. Um, <laughs> right. I, I'm still I'm beginning still of all of us. I'm still so upset at Rutgers and Princeton for not scheduling a game. And I love how they said, oh, you know, they – they were they were kind of deferring it. They didn't want to bring it up. But really, I mean, not only that, here's the embarrassing thing. The week where it is the actual 150th anniversary, Rutgers isn't even playing. They're, they've got a bye week that week. How, how utterly ridiculous is that? How inept is – I mean, like, is it the state of New Jersey? It couldn't be because Princeton's in the state of New Jersey. And Princeton, I, I believe they're playing their game that week in the Yankee Stadium in New York, which is – you know, not quite where I would have placed it, but hey, what the heck? Why not? It's it's a it's a big game, and they even said some people from Rutgers will be like guests there. I mean, how embarrassing is that? The 150th anniversary, and Rutgers is going to be like a sideline guest at an Ivy League game, and it's not even that the Ivy League isn't allowed to play an FBS team. Uh, several years ago, I want to say it was 2014. Um, might be off by a year. Yale hosted Army. Yale hosted Army. Uh, to do the 100th anniversary of the Yale Bowl. And to be fair, that was a pretty wild game. Uh, Yale won in overtime. <laughs> so, I mean, Army, that was when Army was, as some of you may recall, was really bad for a stretch there. They were the first team to ever go 0-13 across the season. I don't think it was that season, but it was around that, that vicinity. But um, there was no reason why Princeton couldn't take on Rutgers, in my opinion. And frankly... Princeton was a pretty scary team last year. They had one of the, somehow they had one of the best offenses in all of FCS football. It was fascinating to watch them go through the season. I mean, they went through and just dominated. They won the uh, they won the Ivy League. So I'm not saying they would have beaten Rutgers, but they certainly would have made it a game. Um, and granted, you, you can't always do, predict. Do you think that's why Rutgers 
didn't schedule them? Oh, I think Rutgers is just inept. I mean, as a university, let, let's be real here. I mean, they had the first football field and they built a gym on top of it. I mean, I, there was a really funny commercial. Gosh, I've been looking for it on YouTube. I can't find it. It was maybe 10 years ago that uh, ESPNU had a, a commercial where they were going around and like sort of facetiously looking at historic places in college football. So they actually went to that gym, like, we're gonna go, we're on the campus of Rutgers and we're gonna see where college football was born. And they basically end up in the boiler room of that gym and they're like, this is where college football was born. Because yeah, what did Rutgers do? They built a gym on top of it. Now that gym is over a hundred years old, so it's a historic building as well. So it's not like you're gonna demolish it to put a field. But um, it's just the Rutgers way. Apparently, they they can't schedule anything, they can't plan anything, and and I mean clearly, uh, maybe to some extent, the Big Ten doesn't respect Rutgers because they gave them a bye week on uh, the 150th anniversary of football. Well, maybe they were hoping they'd schedule Princeton. You know, it has been okay, brought wait, up over wait, the past. Oh, good. Wait, we've talked enough about Rutgers. Oh my God, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to uh, my area because Nebraska fans have to listen to this. The Big Ten West. We could talk about Mark D'Antonio too, but the Big Ten West, what do you think? Well, it's definitely going to have to show if it can possibly stand up to what's in the East at this point. I mean, we've got teams that are impossible to peg at this point. How do we peg Iowa? I mean, they uh, they did beat Iowa State, and maybe it is that Iowa State's also really good, but, you know, who gosh knows because those two tend to play each other close no matter what. Um, Minnesota, <laughs> I don't know about Minnesota. I really think they are the ultimate paper-thin uh, 3-0 team at this point because, you know, they, they're either that or they are the ultimate team at playing their opponent to – uh, to their level because South Dakota State gave them a heck of a run and then double overtime with Fresno State. And then, you know, the go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left against a Georgia Southern team that their coach didn't even think was in the right place because I sat in on the, pre, uh, the pregame call earlier in the week with, um, with the Georgia Southern coach, and he just didn't think they were where they should be. Um, but uh, – I don't know where the Gophers are. I don't think they're they're going to be it. Illinois, I mean, Illinois is in the West, aren't they? I always forget where they yes. are. It's kind of like, yes, know, they are. They are. We'll see where they are. I mean, Eastern Michigan, as weird as it sounds, I think Eastern Michigan is really the surprise, like one of the surprise MAC teams. I think they may have their act together. So it's not entirely clear how much that loss is Illinois being terrible or Eastern Michigan. This is like their year, you know. So again. We'll, we'll kind of have to set that aside. They obviously have a strong running back. Uh, they have a good pass rush. I mean, we're going to find out real quick how they how they are when they stack up against Nebraska. And um, and then it's just, but it's really uncertain. I mean, other, outside of Wisconsin possibly being legit, which we'll quickly find out this weekend. I'm not sure who in the West. It, it seems wide open, which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, if you're a fan of college football, I think if you like competition, it's wonderful. If it's if your team isn't the favorite, though, sometimes it gets a little bit wonky. But um, I think the West is, is pretty wide open at this point. So basically you're, you're, you're saying that after three weeks of college football, we've learned nothing. You know, as I said, the only team that struck me as being potentially quite legit is Ohio State. Like Purdue. I mean, come on, Purdue, what did they do? They went and they lost in embarrassing fashion at Nevada. And then now – but then they went and knocked down Vandy, you know, I mean, which – is not necessarily a impressive thing because uh, Vandy seems to be back in fine Vandy form. Uh, <laughs> and then Northwestern again, I mean, losing the Stanford sounded like not, not a bad thing uh, in week one, but now, I mean, Stanford's not exactly the same team we remember it appears. I mean, they're, uh, uh, they, they, they certainly don't seem as strong as they have been in recent years. So um, I'd be, I'd be curious to, to I mean, it's hard to say which of these teams could possibly be the leader, which may mean, which unfortunately may mean we're, we're just in a run up to whichever team gets to be the sacrificial lamb for whoever comes out of the East in the championship game. 
Yeah, it kind of looks that way. Ohio State looks like they look like they're they're going to challenge Clemson or Alabama. I hate to say that, but I mean, they look excellent. But they played what? Yeah, and that's it. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, uh, I can't remember if this was before we went on the air. It's like this reminds me, like Ohio State right now, they're in that sweet spot with a new coach who's inherited an amazing system um, that was put in place by their predecessor. Is this going to be like Larry Coker's first year where he, he had an unstoppable Miami team and then kind of petered out over time? Or is this is this like really they've just reloaded and it's going to be the same old Buckeyes uh, heading forward? I don't know. We're not sure yet. But this year so far, it looks like uh, we're going to be they're going to be strong regardless. And I mean, they don't I mean, what's their next test? It's going to be Nebraska, isn't it? Because I don't expect yes. Miami. I mean, Miami of Ohio's head coach already kind of had that hilarious, you know, uh, <laughs> hilarious quote about going up against the team and in, uh, in kind of like making a. Uh, joke about kind of a recess game. It's like they got the first 50 picks, and now we get to play them. Um, but, right. Uh, yeah, so uh, – but I think Nebraska is going to be the real test, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's where we also see how, how legit Nebraska is as, as far as being a national contender. I mean, so what do you- we could say – I mean, you could say that Colorado game. I get it. The Colorado game was a tough loss, but it, there was a bit of a rivalry aspect to it historically, and you know how much Colorado really just wanted to get that. And, I mean – I think teams have recovered from far worse win for far worse, pardon me, losses and turned out to be quite legit. And even, you know, I mean, I still remember when USC beat Ohio state uh, in the horseshoe in a tight game uh, with a a freshman quarterback, uh, uh, Matt Barkley. And then USC season kind of went, you know, mediocre. And then Ohio state went to the Rose bowl. So sometimes it's hard to predict these things in the early season. Um, and I mean, by the way, South Alabama, I have to say, I have to address that game. I do this. I've covered the Sun Belt now for five years. I was so fascinated by the South uh, Alabama head coach. I actually recorded it and put it on our Twitter account after hearing him talk about the Nebraska game. Because he really thought that, like, look, this is the awesomest thing ever. We get to go play Nebraska. We get to play in the sun and in the heat. This is – we're in Mobile. It's always – the guy has a very funny way of talking. I can't quite emulate it. But, I mean, he's it's fun to listen to him talk. He isn't like Ed Orgeron hilarious. But it's just – it's fascinating to hear him talk. But he's like, you can't ask for a better situation than to play Nebraska in the heat in August. I would pick the hottest part of the day any day. Um, and the guy was a legit, he's a legit coach. He won division. He won the national championships at D2 and the junior college level. Uh, and he had a very strong FCS program before he would have to take over at South Alabama. So I wasn't shocked by those results. I wouldn't let anybody think I, I actually immediately wrote off how week one went for Nebraska based on the fact that with that head coach, with that motivation, they were going to go in there and give their best possible shot. But you know, going and playing in Colorado, that's a little tough. But I think, you know, obviously that was a very strong win against Northern Illinois. I, uh, I, think, uh, I think Nebraska will really get a real test of them when, when you guys uh, uh, host Ohio State. What, what do you think about Michigan? Oh, man, what can be said about Michigan? I mean, is it so funny to hear people talk about, you know, we're getting that, that hint of, like, are they disappointing? You can't – that Army, you know, winning close against Army clearly isn't – I mean, it's hard to tell how good Army is this year, obviously. I mean, is it like last year's Army? Is this going to be like OU going into overtime with Army and then going back to being Oklahoma immediately afterwards? It's not clear. Um, this game against Wisconsin, as I mentioned, is really going to show us if Michigan is the contender that people, uh, especially uh, in their fan base, want them to be every year. I think this will be the test. I think if they beat Wisconsin, they're certainly going to jump way up into the top 10. I mean, right now they're like hovering just outside of it like Wisconsin. Whoever wins that game is going to be a top 10 team, and I don't think there'll be much contention of that. But if they can, if they can win – I, I frankly, I mean, because Wisconsin's strong enough that if it's a close win, no one's going to knock them for it. But if they can dominate and maybe show Wisconsin is uh, a pretender or vice versa, we're going to whichever team comes out of there is going to be a, a, a huge uh, is suddenly going to seem a lot more legit. Big Ten overall. What do you think? Ohio State is just so 
just so far above everybody else right now. Justin Fields has looked like a, a crushing machine. Dobbins has looked like a, their defense. I, they look like a team that's all together. There's nothing. They certainly do. <sighs> yeah, sorry to me to cut you off. I think they do. I think at this point it would be it would be naive to not call them the uh, the favorite, the odds on favorite. Now things obviously can change, and and we'll get a sense of contenders. I think in the next couple of weeks, but uh, at this point, um, they are clearly one of the best teams in the country. Uh, I mean, September, you know, with, the, uh, the, with the September playoff team, I mean, <laughs> they are uh, like a September Heisman. They are, they are clearly, they are clearly the, the odds on favorite going into October, unless things change dramatically in the next couple of weekends. Well, hopefully something changes, changes dramatically when they come to Lincoln. So we'll see where we are. I mean, that would be are. a storm the field moment, would it be? I mean, I don't think fans – do fans storm the field in Lincoln? I don't think I've ever heard of that. They don't. They don't. Yeah. You know why they don't? Uh, because most of the stands are composed of really old people who are season ticket holders who pay lots of money. And then they took the, the students and shoved them way up into the stadium like a band. You know, oh, they they yeah. literally – when you do the tunnel walk at Nebraska – your student section is at the furthest point you could put it in the stadium from the tunnel walk when the team walks out on the field. Now, can they see them? Yeah, it's probably the best visual point for it, but it, they're not right on top of them so they can cheer for them. It's, Nebraska is, you know, we have this sellout thing going that's back to when, literally when I was born. And you were talking earlier about how you're 40. I'm 57. Okay, so it's the sellout streak goes back to when I was born, and it's sacred and it's religious. It's I'm not even making that up. It's religious. Yeah. But but uh, they took the you know Osborne just said, well, we'll take the students and shove them up here, and because he's Osborne, you know, nobody argues with him. And you kind of look at the students situation at Nebraska, I think is, um, it's, it's bad. It really is. It's, but, you know, and that's sadly just a national trend in a lot of ways. Now I know no one wants to say their school is part of the national trend when it isn't all that optimistic, but I mean, so many school, I remember when I was a student at USC, the, uh, the, the students were on basically the 40, uh, the 35 and 40, and then they just moved them further back to basically the end zone. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's it's just I wish they wouldn't make it such a – and then they wonder why, you know, uh, at least students at so many programs don't really want to show up anymore. I mean, part of it is is, is some of the uh, the other attributes of, of technology and changing uh, interests. But part of it, it's like, look, you guys have over time made the experience kind of – Kind of dog shitty, so, I shitty. Mean, it's like, it's yeah, shitty. I mean, what do you expect the reaction to be the moment something better starts to show up? I mean, it's not like there's a real incentive. Um, and by the way, I have to say, I've been to Lincoln for a game. I really enjoyed the Memorial Stadium. I was fascinated by the ability to walk as a fan onto the field level, kind of in the. Fr- I, I don't know how to describe it, but like, there's like an aisle on the field, like right behind the visitor. I think I went by the behind the visitor bench because I went. To oh yes, see, yes, like, there is. But, that is that is awesome. I thought I've never seen a stadium arrangement like that. At least not at a, a level of a team like Nebraska. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, because I'm trying to think. Cause Ohio State certainly. I've been to Ohio State. I've been to Nebraska. Probably uh, Notre Dame. I've been to you know some other major teams. But I mean, I'm thinking of it's not a common thing to have that kind of a walkway, particularly I think in this era. I mean, the newer stadiums simply don't because the newer stadiums are being designed to optimize the the fans as close to the field as possible. So they're just, the sidelines aren't big at all. But, um, but with the older kind of the cathedrals of college football, like uh, Memorial stadium, like, you know, Ohio stadium, like, you know, even some of the, the West coast stadiums that are more newish, like often technically an old stadium, but they've added onto it so many times. It looks like a spaceship um, or, uh, <laughs> or, you know, uh, Husky stadium out in Seattle. I'm trying to think of some of these ones I've been to, uh, and it's just not typical that you get that opportunity. I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was really cool. I mean, uh, granted, the game was also cool. That was the uh, 2007 USC game. But uh, uh, at least for me, <laughs> going as a visitor. Yeah, Canada, thank you. 
Thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry for that reminder. But yeah. I, was, I mean, hey, I was. It was cool to be able to then walk back there and, and then see the see the uh, the players just kind of doing their thing. That was that was, I think, my first time ever being that close on the college football field to that kind of an action. So, um, but it was a wonderful experience overall. Obviously, I mean, I'm not gonna. I, I'm not just saying this to preach to your audience. I mean, I really do think Nebraska fans are some of the not, I mean, my two best away game experiences in my life were going to uh, 2007 Nebraska and 2000, I want to say it was four. It was the last time USC played at BYU before we lost in overtime this last weekend. Um, that was that was also a great experience. It's just, you know, it makes a difference, I think. I mean, especially, you know, as you get older and you're not quite as, as ornery as a person might be when they're younger, you know, I was never necessarily that type of personality, but I mean, at the same time, it's nice to be able to go and, uh, and like really enjoy a good football game. It's like the fun is going to visit a new place. The fun was, I mean, I was living in the Twin Cities at the time, so I drove from Minneapolis to Lincoln and, uh, you know, stopped via Omaha and, and, uh, stayed in Lincoln at a, man, that was a really hard, uh, uh, hotel room to find. That's probably one of the hardest. <laughs> I mean, granted. When I went to Arkansas, I couldn't even stay in the Fayetteville area. I stayed like two hours away, drove in for the game, and then at 2 a.m. got to some hotel like in the middle of Missouri because I just couldn't find any hotels remotely close to the game site. But uh, but that was an, that was a great experience. And game day was there too. I think that was the that was the one time I went to a full game day broadcast was when they hosted it in Memorial Stadium. Yeah, um, in 2007. Yeah. We we try not to bring up the 2007 season. Yeah, that was a that was a real coaching mistake. That really was. That, that's one of the probably the most infamous in in the last what 30 years easily. <laughs> hey, but hey, you know Brady. It could have been worse. Could have been Brady Hoke, right? Or uh, I don't know. <laughs> Brady Hoke wasn't that bad. Oh yeah, that's true. He didn't try to totally tear down a, a system that works. Man, at the same. He didn't. He didn't try to kick a field goal. By the way, this is relevant. Uh, Nebraska played Pitt, and Bill Callahan went to kick a field goal on the one or two yard line. Because in the NFL, when you're on the road, you take the points, right? And I looked at that, and I went, "This guy is this. We're not. This is never going to work." And then you look at. What's his name? Pat Narduzzi, Narduzzi, and you yeah, yeah. watched last week's Penn State game, and you went, "What are you? You are a sucky coach. You should not do this." Anyway, was <laughs> the worst. Yeah, coach. Anyway, just going back to that, what do you think? What do you think of Penn State? I still can't quite gauge them either. I mean, what they they okay they they beat Pitt, but I don't know how much of that was them and how much of that was Pitt. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm curious to see where Penn State kind of lies once they get a few more under their belt as well. Um, I have a, Maryland I have a, will be interesting. I have a close colleague that is a Penn State guy. And uh, literally at the bottom of my notes for this show, I wrote down, I, I know a Penn State fan so dumb and wimpy he turned his flashlight on on his iphone and put it in his pants and it burned him that's what i think of that guy i think penn state is in a a division that includes ohio state michigan and god help them (laughs) yeah i mean what their best hope is that michigan ends up not being quite so good and ohio state goes to the playoffs so that they can get into the rose bowl again Right. Uh, that's probably Penn State's hope right now. Right. And I, I I I realize people look at the West and they go they call it the Big Ten mess. And part of that is I think and tell me if I'm wrong, I think people want Nebraska to be better. I pe I people want Nebraska to go back to where they were in the nineties. I I certainly want that, but Wisconsin right now seems to be a team that is is very very good, but they just can't get you know they can't get up there. They can't reach the. They're like climbing up this ladder and they just can't get on the roof because they're afraid of heights. I don't know what it is. Too much cheese. They can't quite get their body over. <laughs> wow, that or brats and beer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> do people? Do you think people from the outside? 
want Nebraska to come back and at least I think so. I think any classic blue blood program, uh, and obviously you can't that there's no better way to describe Nebraska. I, I think everybody wants them to be. I mean, granted, there might be some that say no, let them let them fail. And I mean, I think that's but that's a, that's I think the two the two faces of being uh, of of all blue blood teams. You have the the people who want them to succeed again because they're a brand. They bring people to the stadium. Uh, they bring people to, to watch in college football again. And at the same time, there's some joy in watching them fail. I mean, any if it's not your blue blood program, there is some you know joy in watching you know a team that is traditionally very successful going through some really bad years or or kind of messy sort of fiascos. I mean, it's the same reason people thought it was delightful when Kansas lost, me, when Kansas beat Texas. It's the same reason people liked it when Stanford beat uh, USC in 2007. I mean, there's that certain sense of like joy in watching the failure for the Blue Bloods, but at the same time, people do like them around because, I, I don't know, is it because we're used to them or is it because it's just they, they are part of what makes college football so fun? I mean, look, how many years would it take for some school that just doesn't have that kind of a passionate fan base to get to that level. I mean, let's say Indiana football starts winning at a level that Ohio state does. It would still, in my opinion, take a decade before they even get that kind of an, uh, they would even match that level of interest. They'd just be like, Oh wow. Look, Hey, Indiana's good again. You know, no one would really get there as if, Oh wow. Look, you know, Ohio State is well. Ohio State isn't back. They're they're already there. Uh, they never left. Uh, but you know what I mean. But if Nebraska came back, it's like wow, Nebraska's here's Nebraska. I know Nebraska. Nebraska is doing great. And I think you know, I, the only people you've ever seen achieve that. I mean, I'd love to say Texas Christian, but it's not them. It's it's probably Boise State. And even then, it's like it's still not quite the same. I think. Because uh, Boise State's been so good for so long, at the same time, you know, it, it doesn't have the same cachet or draw that you would get from a Nebraska or, let's say, Florida State get a, getting it together again. And Florida State is still a bit, you know, nouveau riche compared to uh, a Nebraska or an Oklahoma or a or a USC or an Ohio State. You know, it, it's not quite as uh, um, it's still. I mean, because everyone remembers. I mean, Bobby Bowden. I mean. He really made them the, the what they are by by sort of forcing their their schedule to take on anyone anywhere. Well, you know that was their their approach to. to I Florida I, I was there. I was there as a student in 1982. I I think it was 1982. Nebraska lost to Florida State, and I remember turning to a friend of mine and saying, "This this Florida State team." It's going to be like I I made a comparison to asphalt that I don't remember right now, but they're going to be hot. They're going to rise out of the ground. They're going to rise out of the, you know, they're going to be massive, and we will contend for them for years to come. Because I was Nostra Game Amis when I was in college, <laughs> something something like that. That's terrible. That's a horrible reference. All right. You need to go on with your life. I need to go on with my life. Uh, we're going to end with you saying nice things about Nebraska. Well, I think I said a lot of nice things about Nebraska, but I'm happy to just end with a few more. You brought up Nebraska. The- Nebraska is what people want college football to be. When Nebraska is good, Nebraska is. I mean, that that. Let's set aside how well even the football team does. Nebraska has passionate fans who go to games, who travel well to games. Nebraska has um, tradition, uh, you know, everything from the black shirts to, uh, to to the sellout streak to just sort of game day in Lincoln. I mean, it is what people love about the sport. It is the fact that when that stadium fills up, it is one of the biggest towns in Nebraska. It is the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, you can, I can keep going on and on and on here. And I think that is why Nebraska is, is such an important part of the college football landscape, and it will always be so. Um, and the fans are, are as much a part of it as the team. I mean, you can talk about coaches, you can talk about players, and those change, I mean, especially players change, you know, every couple of years. And coaches, you know, even a great coach, can. It, it, you get those wonderful epics uh, in the uh, – 
in the history, but nothing makes Nebraska as much as its fan base um, because they're there through thick and thin. As the decades pass, they remain. And uh, I think that's what makes Nebraska a good program and an important one for college football. My God, you are good. <laughs> Can you believe that was off the top of my head, too? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, maybe that's a compliment. Maybe that, that's it because I, mean, I don't have to think about it. I can tell you why Nebraska is good. <laughs> All right, we're going to end. I thank you, Bobak Harry. Did I get that right? You got it. All right, for joining me on uh, my podcast. I hope we can do this again. And and we're going to talk further. We did off air about the $5 bits of broken chair trophy. And, uh, you know, thank you all for listening who downloads this. I still trying to figure out how it works but uh i hope you all have a nice weekend